We read in Ezekiel chapter 37 about a valley of dry bones that are brought back to life. Was this just a vision, or did it really happen? Well, stay with us and find out. listening to the question and answer program with our Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who for over 30 years answered the questions of his many listeners. This program is a ministry of the Through the Bible Radio Network. Now let's get right to our questions. The first one comes to us from a listener in Pomona, California, who writes, I've been following along with you in your study of Isaiah and Jeremiah. I've also recently listened to a sermon my pastor gave on Luke 21, verses 8 through 26. He said that Jesus is coming after the Great Tribulation. But you say that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. Is there a discrepancy in the Bible? Very candidly, the tribulation is mentioned in the passage that this preacher took. And after that, you have the second coming of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom. And that, of course, has nothing in the world to do with the rapture of the church. And to begin with, if you felt that I was referring to the rapture when I mentioned the second coming of Christ in Isaiah and Jeremiah. I would like to correct you by saying that I'm sorry if I gave that impression and I went to great extremes not to give that impression to begin with. Isaiah and Jeremiah are not talking about the church. That is not the subject of their prophecies. And the church is not in there at all. It relates primarily to the nation Israel, extends out to the world, and the second coming of Christ there is his coming to this earth to establish his kingdom upon the earth. That's one thing. Now, the rapture is something else. Paul speaks of the fact that we are to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The Lord Jesus said that if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you into myself. And apparently he's going to take a group of people off of this earth to a place he's prepared. Now that is one thing. But to come to the earth and establish a kingdom down here is something else. And I very frankly feel that a great many preachers and theological professors that need a good course in geography today, that this earth and a place that's being prepared out yonder are two different things. And the destiny of the church is that place out there. And the coming to the earth to establish his kingdom is altogether something else. Now, let's come and look at the passage of Scripture that you're talking about And I think that if we applied just a few simple rules of hermeneutics or interpretation, we'll have no problem whatsoever. Now, Luke 21, beginning with verse 5, you have a 
portion of what is known as the Olivet Discourse. Now, you have that in greater extent in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24 and 25. You have two chapters there that are given over to it entirely. And here you do not have quite one chapter given to it, and they're not nearly as lengthy here. He's giving only part of the discourse. Now, back in Matthew, he had come to Jerusalem and had said to them their house would be left unto them desolate. Well, the apostles thought that was a very strange statement themselves. And they called his attention to the buildings there. And they were beautiful because it was Herod's temple. It was in construction, beautiful white temple. And he had built this, and it was in a certain stage of being built. And also there were other buildings there, and they called his attention to it. And then he made this very extreme statement. He said, the time's coming when one stone will not be left upon another. Now, they connected all of this together with his program that relates to the nation Israel, to Jerusalem and the temple. Now, he's not talking here about the church at all in Matthew. He had mentioned it up at Caesarea Philippi, who was going to build his church on the rock, which is himself. He is the stone the builders rejected, and so on, so that he now has made this statement, and they come to him at the Mount of Olives with three questions. When shall these things be? That is, one stone not left upon another. Well, for the purpose of his gospel, Matthew did not include that at all. Matthew leaves that out. He mentions the question, but Dr. Luke puts it in because it fits in the purpose of his gospel. Now, the other two questions were, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so he gives them, first of all, when will one stone not be left upon another? And that's what you have here in the Gospel of Luke. He says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Well, very candidly, when he makes that statement, he's referring to Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and so on. Now, that was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when Titus came and destroyed the city. Now, after that, there was to be a time of trouble, and he dealt with that in Matthew, and you have some of it here. Now, it has no relationship to the church whatsoever. We can learn a lesson for it. There is an application that we ought to look up, our redemption draweth nigh, because all of these things are related chronologically, but they're not related any other way. And these people, when the great tribulation takes place, they'll know that he's coming soon there to look up, their redemption draweth nigh. 
and the application would be made to us. But to say that he's talking to us when he's talking to a group about Jerusalem, about the kingdom, and about setting up the kingdom, and about his coming to set up the kingdom. Now, that's one thing, and that's what you have here. Now, to drag the church in here is, to my judgment, one of the worst types of interpretation that is imaginable. But may I say to you, it shows the extreme that those who are trying to say the church goes through the great tribulation, the extreme they will go to in interpretation of the word of God in order to maintain a theory. Nothing in the world, but just a theory. Why not follow through? How in the world could anyone preach and say the church is going through the great tribulation and then turn around and say what Paul said to a young preacher, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. I would say that for goodness sakes, don't come because you're coming right after the great tribulation to set up your kingdom and that means the church is going through the great tribulation according to this interpretation. And I'd be very frank with you, the last thing in the world you'd want to look for would be for his coming because it would mean you'd have to go through the great tribulation period. I don't know why some of these men today want to push the church into the great tribulation period. They say that there are folk today that have not only a persecution complex, but a complex in which they enjoy suffering and that sort of thing. I will avoid all the suffering I possibly can. But I found out, and you go through this life, you'll get quite a bit of it. And the Lord Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation or trouble, but not the great tribulation. You're going to have a lot of trouble. But the one thing the church has promised, that they'll not go through the great tribulation period. That's clear teaching. It promised the church in Philadelphia. Keep you from that hour which is coming on the earth, a period that the Lord Jesus said there's nothing like it in the history of the world. And it's a time of judgment, by the way. Now we come to a question from a listener in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who writes, Could you explain Ezekiel 37, where the dry bones come to life? Why did God do this? What happened to these people afterward? Did they live out their lives? Well, may I say to you that all of this apparently was a vision that was given to Ezekiel. And whether he actually saw this or not, I think that it was a vision. And somebody says, you mean to tell me you're a literalist in prophecy and now you're saying that? Yes, I'm saying that because of the fact that the interpretation and again, we ought to be very careful to see what the interpretation of anything that is given. I take everything literal in Scripture unless in the Scripture itself says it. Now, we have here in verse 11, and I'm glad that you gave me to go down that far, because it says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we are cut off 
for our parts. Now, what are the dry bones? It's the house of Israel. This was a vision that was given to Ezekiel to get his attention and also that he could get the attention of the people. And I would say it's certainly a dramatic sort of thing. All of these dry bones scattered, you don't know what bone belongs to what skeleton. And so they all begin to come together and they then have flesh on them. Then they come alive. Now, this is a vision. What, what is this vision? What's the interpretation of it? Well, the interpretation of it is that it's the house of Israel. And that's the important message to get from this passage. And I'd suggest to this dear listener in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, don't worry about those people of the dry bones. The Lord was given a vision. And if they were the real thing, he took care of them. But it was a vision. And we need to recognize that. And the interpretation is given to us here. And while you're worrying about these people, don't miss the interpretation that God's not through with the nation Israel. There are a great many people saying that today. God's through with the nation Israel. He's not through with them. They are just scattered dry bones today. And it was one of the sheiks of one of the Arab tribes that made a statement concerning Israel and their first prime minister. He said that what he's trying to do is to take a lot of dry bones and make a nation out of a lot of dry bones. I thought that was quite interesting. I wondered whether he'd been reading Ezekiel or not, but I doubt that he had. But actually, that was the thing. Here's a nation out of business for 2,500 years. All of a sudden, they become a nation again, and they become a very important nation. The attention of the world's directed there. And for that reason why they feel like that this is the fulfillment of it. Now, I don't say that's the fulfillment of it. I just say that that's the interpretation, that God's not through with the nation Israel. This next listener writes to us from Hemet, California, and asks, Do you consider the phenomenon of extrasensory perception, or ESP, as the same kind of spiritism found in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12? Well, I think probably the first thing that we should do is go over Deuteronomy. It's in the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy. I begin reading at verse 10. It says, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Now, the people that were in that land, they practiced all these things, and God drove them out. And the very interesting thing is that Satan has never been a bearer of good news. He has tremendous power. And I have observed that these that deal with this type of thing are great at digging up dead bodies, 
They are great at bringing bad news that a catastrophe is coming and that type of thing. And they always, even when they have good news, it's always good news and bad news. And I heard one on the TV, a man that should know better ought not to have anything like that on his program, but he does. And the very interesting thing is, she said to a certain party out there that this affair that you're having is going to work out for you fine, but beware, she says. And that was connected with the tragic side. Satan bears bad news. And therefore, I believe that all of this is dealing with spiritism and all of this experimentation. And we are seeing the rise of the occult in our day. And that is definitely satanic. I was amazed the other day to get a letter on our program from someone that had been converted listening to the program who had been in drugs and all of this and listened to TV programs, and they listened to a testimony of one of the leaders of the witches. He'd been converted and gave his testimony, and in his testimony, he'd mentioned the fact that the entire cast of one of these soap operas are all of them witches, so that there's a great deal of that today. Who would ever have thought 25, 50 years ago that we'd have people today that claim to be witches? I would have said, my, this is for the dark ages. What's happening? And all of this is definitely satanic. I would say stay away from it. And I'm sure that Moses in Deuteronomy is talking about this same thing. And when man gets away from God, he always goes in this direction. You know, if you won't have God, you're going to put something in his place. You won't have Jesus Christ. And they repudiated him in Germany, and then they took Hitler. They'll take somebody. And right now, America's looking for a hero. We pick up one of the athletes, and we follow him, or somebody on TV, or one of the rock players, or an Elvis Presley. Believe me, Americans want somebody to worship. And I would say that they're really desperate in the ones they're picking out today because they're finding that they not only feed a clay, but they're clay all the way up. And these so-called heroes. You see, when you reject Jesus Christ, you've left yourself open for anything that comes along. And I say America's in worse condition than these countries that have never heard the gospel because we're in a nation that's heard it and is rejecting it. And that's lots worse because it lays us open. Why, Germany was the most enlightened nation in the world until World War I. They were way ahead in science. They were way ahead in theology. And they were way ahead in many ways. And now, look where they went to. The day came when they worshipped a Hitler. And America's wide open today for somebody that will come along. Our final question comes to us from a listener in Los Angeles. It says, I've heard you sometimes say this passage is not in the older manuscripts. What do you mean by this? Does this mean the passage in question is to be discredited? No, it's not. And I'll tell you why I use that expression. And I use it for a very definite reason. And I think I can illustrate this. I use the expression 
for this reason, because when a question comes in or in our Through the Bible program, I come to a passage of Scripture that there's been some question about. It's not in the better manuscripts and some think it ought not to be in Scripture. Now, I think it ought to be in Scripture. Most of those that I feel should be in. There could be exceptions, but most of them, I think, should be in. And I treat them as if they're Scripture. And I do know that there are listening in many preachers today, and many that have studied the introduction and the critical text of Scripture, and they say, well, that fellow McGee doesn't seem to know that there's some question about that passage of Scripture. So I just put that in and let them know that I do know it and that I have been through seminary and I have studied all of this. Now, this passage in the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, and if you have your Bible, you turn there. It opens like this. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, etc. Now, that passage of Scripture is actually not in several of the manuscripts. Why isn't it in several of the manuscripts? It's in others. Now, I believe, and this is the explanation that's been given that some of those early scribes felt like when they got to that, they ought to leave it out, that it didn't seem to contribute anything, and it would seem to teach that you could get by with adultery. The law said to stone the woman, and here's an example where the Lord Jesus said, the one without sin, throw the first stone. Now, if you'll notice how he dealt with her, He said to her, and he didn't stone her. He was apparently the only one there that had a right to stone her, but he didn't. He forgave her. And that's been the thing that has caused a great man to say, well, look how easy it was. Well, I think there'd be more to it than that. You see, I think that he forgave her her sin. And that's on the basis of the fact that he died for her on the cross. And then he told her to go and sin no more. And he certainly called it sin, so that this question that you asked at the beginning about adultery, you see here is why it would come up again. So several scribes left it out because they thought, my, this would teach the wrong thing. And somebody says, well, they didn't have a very high view of the inspiration of Scripture. Well, I would say that. They didn't treat it like it was the Word of God. And that's the reason I don't like some of the translations today. They're not made by men who believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And that means plenary verbal inspiration, which means the words are inspired. Now, coming back to this passage of Scripture, I think that's the reason that they left it out. Others think that it was inserted because it was a true story and it was put in later. I think it was in there from the very beginning. John put it there, and several of them left it out for that reason. They felt it would teach a low moral standard. So that that would be my explanation of it. Now, when I come to it, I treat it as Scripture. 
and I do other passages of Scripture the same way. During today's program, Dr. McGee dealt with many passages of Scripture from the Word of God. We looked into such books as Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, Luke, and John. If you happen to be studying any of these books or any other book of the Bible, we have our edited messages in a handy paperback version. It's a 60-volume set covering the whole Bible. Each volume is small enough for you to carry easily with you with your Bible or in a backpack or even a purse. If you'd like more information on how you can purchase one or the entire 60-volume set, keep listening. I'll give that information in just a moment. First, I'd like to mention that today's question and answer program is available on individual CD. Maybe you'd like to order a copy for yourself, friend, or a family member. Ordering information for the CD or the paperback edited messages can be requested when you speak to one of our helpful service operators. We'd also like to remind you to join us this week on the Through the Bible radio program heard every Monday through Friday on this station. We'll be continuing Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the whole Word of God, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. If you're an avid student of the Bible, then you'll want to be added to our mailing list for our notes and outlines. To contact our offices, to purchase any of our paperback commentaries, ask to be on the mailing list for the notes and outlines, or to express your interest in the ministry, call 1-800-65-BIBLE Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Questions and Answers in the U.S. Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or visit our website at ttb.org. Now we pray that our God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus, take it home. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This program has been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network. Thank you.